0: Happy Sabbath, everyone. I hope you're well. Nathis and I made the best attempt we could to get out of our driveway or our area. The snow was too high, we couldn't, so we had to return. But we thank God for the technology that allows us to worship this way so that nothing really is missed. Wherever you are, in the comfort of your homes, we greet you. For those of you with the courage who actually made it to the church, may God doubly bless you. We're grateful again for this holy day and I pray that wherever you are within the United States, outside of the United States, may the Lord bless you and may the Lord give me the words that your lives might be touched. If there's anyone listening who is not a Seventh-day Adventist, may God doubly and sweetly bless you and put a double blessing on your children. We're always delighted to have guests. Our subject for the day, when one When once is too much, when once is too much, let us bow our heads and pray. But before I do that, even though you may be in the comfort of your homes, please keep in mind that the holiness of God does not change. Zoom does not lessen God's holiness. He still requires reverence. And so I politely and gently, as your brother asks you, wherever you are, preserve reverence so that God can accept this worship with a smile on his face. Let's pray, let's pray now. Father in heaven, I ask you in the name of Jesus Christ to be with us. Unite us through your spirit, dear God, despite the distances between us. Forgive our sins, cleanse us, dear God. We present ourselves to you, asking you to grant us your spirit, that he may enlighten our minds, our understanding, that the words you speak through me may bless everyone listening, Take full possession of me, my faculties, my mind, my apparatus of speech, so that from beginning to end, this presentation may glorify your most deserving name. Bless not only us, dear God, but wherever your people are worshiping you now. Bless them, I pray, in Jesus' name, amen. When once is too much. In the book of Ephesians chapter five, Reading verse three, the Bible says, "But fornication, and all uncleanness, or covetousness, let it not be once named among you, as becoming saints." In other words, the Bible says there's some things we should not even do once. Of course, that applies to sin, because when it comes to sin and the holiness of God, once is too many. We see that in the experience of Adam and Eve in the garden. Let it not be once named among you as become a saints. We're looking today at the holiness of God, the holiness of God. What does that mean? And what, how, what does that mean for us in our relationship with God? The holiness of God under the title, when once is too many. If we go to Genesis chapter 2, reading from verse 16, one of my absolutely favorite passages in the entire Bible, Genesis 2, reading from verse 16, the Bible says, And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayst freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it. For in the day thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. In other words, the very instant you eat is the instant you sin, and you will die. Of course, they did not die because Christ took that curse upon himself, but God told them the very instant you sin, you will die. Now, Adam and Eve did sin. They committed one sin, as far as we know, that Adam committed, I should say, and because of that. He was evicted from the Garden of Eden. In the book Conflict and Courage, page uh, 21, paragraph 6, or page 20, paragraph 6, paragraph 7, Aloy writes To Adam in his innocence was given communication direct, free, and happy with his Maker. After his transgression, God would communicate with man only through Christ and angels. Conflict and courage. Page 26 and 7. Let me say it again. To Adam, in his innocence, before he had sinned, was given or granted communication direct, free, and happy. What does direct mean? Face to face. That's before his transgression. To Adam, in his innocence, in his sinlessness, was given or granted communication direct, free, and happy after his transgression not after his transgressions excuse me after his transgression after one sin god would no longer communicate with him face to face all communication was turned over to christ and to angels god would communicate to adam only through christ and through angels This gives us some insight into two things, the severity of any sin, because Adam did not commit mass murder, Adam did not rob a bank or rape someone or burn down a house, he simply consumed a fruit God had said, do not eat, do not not eat. And so the severity of sin, even in its smallest size. The other lesson we learned Is the extreme nature of the holiness of God. God, in his holiness, cannot tolerate one sin. This may seem extreme to us, and indeed it is, because God says, Your ways are not my ways, neither are your thoughts my thoughts. One sin is too many in the eyes of God. It offended the holiness of God to such a degree that God ceased all face-to-face communication with Adam. Even after Adam repented, God no longer spoke face-to-face because despite his repentance, it did not change the fact that at some point in his history, Adam had committed one sin. I am trying to stress the absolute holiness of god which frequently we do not understand listen to this tell me if this is reasonable let us take a young boy from a rural village somewhere in china he's only seen chinese his books have pictures of chinese his friends are chinese that's all he knows someone tells him there is a powerful being in heaven called God. Now, draw a picture of God. He can hear, he can see, he smiles, he gets angry, he loves, he forgives, he's an intelligent being. Draw a picture of God. That little boy will surely draw a picture of God who looks Chinese, because that's all he knows. Take a young boy or a young girl from some rural village in Africa somewhere. The person only, that child has only seen black Africans. In books, uh, face-to-face, What that's all the child has seen. You tell that child just what you told the Chinese child. There is a mighty being in heaven. He loves, he forgives, he gets angry, he's happy, he's long-suffering, he's compassionate. Now draw a picture of him. That child will draw a picture of a god who looks like an African. What am I trying to say? You give a human being the opportunity to create a God. And that human being will create a God in his image because that is all the human being knows. That's all he has seen. That's all he has been exposed to, human being. And so he will create a God or she will create a God in the human image with the frailties and the weaknesses of a human being. This is dramatically represented in the experience of the Greeks and the Romans. The Greeks had their gods whom they created, the Romans had their gods whom they created, and the Romans essentially inherited the Greeks' gods but simply changed their names. The Greek gods did precisely what human beings do. The same sins, they committed. The same acts of transgression they committed. Why? Because they were created by human beings, and all human beings know, generally speaking, is sin. We see it all around us. We ourselves are involved with it. We read about it. We watch it on the television. That's all we see. And so if we were to create a God, we would create a God who sins. What am I trying to say? In order to understand the holiness of God, we cannot look horizontally. We have to look vertically. We have to look up. And the only way to look vertically, to even begin to understand the extreme holiness of God, this is how we look vertically, by looking into the Word of God to try to learn how truly holy God is. When we say God is holy, what do we mean biblically? Let's get some reasonable uh, information from the Bible. Exodus 19, we'll read from verse 4. Exodus 19, verse 4, our subject, when once is too many. Before I continue, let me pray again. Father in heaven, continue to direct my speaking, my thinking, I pray, for your glory and the blessing of those watching. In Jesus' name, amen. Exodus 19, reading from verse 4. The Bible says, ye have seen what I did unto the Egyptians, and how I bear you on eagle's wings and brought you unto myself. Now therefore, if ye will obey my voice indeed and keep my covenant, then ye shall be a peculiar treasure unto me above all people, for all the earth is mine, and ye shall be unto me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. What was required for Israel? To be a holy nation to God, the clue is in verse 4. You have seen what I did unto the Egyptians and how I bear you on eagles' wings and brought you unto myself. In other words, God separated the Israelites from Egypt. And on a larger scale, God desires to separate spiritual Israelites from the Egypt of the world. Without that separation, they could not have been a holy people unto God, meaning holiness requires separation. Let's go to Leviticus chapter 20. we we'll read verse 26, and that passage will strengthen uh, Exodus 19, 4 to 6. Here's what it says. And ye shall be holy unto me, for I, the Lord, am holy and have separated you from other people, that he should be mine. In this verse, Leviticus 20, verse 26, we have separation again. God said, I have severed you. I have cut you off. In order for the Israelites to be holy, they had to be separated from the other nations of the world. God told the Israelites just before they crossed over the Jordan into Canaan land, When thou art come into the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee, thou shalt not learn to do after the abominations of those nations. Do not practice the lifestyle they practice. Even though you are coming into their territory, you must be cut off. You must be separate in order for you to be a holy nation. Holiness requires separation. Now, how does that apply to God? The same way. Let's go to Psalm 50, 5-0. Psalm 50, we shall read from verse uh, 18. When thou sawest a thief, then thou consentest with him, and hast been partaker with adulterers. Thou givest thy mouth the evil, and thy tongue fremeth deceit. Thou sittest and speakest against thy brother, and slanderest thine own mother's son, David is, or the writer of that psalm, is listing all the evils that we do. All these things has these things hast thou done, and I kept silent, says God. Thou thoughtest that I was altogether such a one as thyself. Now, this is a very serious statement. God said, you did all these things, I kept quiet. You thought I was just like you. What is God saying? I am not like you at all. Now this may be a blow to our spiritual egos, God is not like us at all. God is just like Jesus. But when Jesus was on this earth, his life was so different that people kept saying, what manner of man is this? We do not understand the way he lives. We do not understand the way he reacts to abuse. We just do not understand how he handles insults. We do not understand how he handles physical abuse. What kind of a man is this? This is a man whose character was fit for heaven. This is the only man whose life qualifies him for heaven, for salvation. The only one who deserves salvation, who deserves all the blessings of God, is Jesus Christ. Because he lived an absolutely holy life. He lived a sinless life. Even though he walked among sinners, he was separate from sinners. Holiness requires separation now god told uh, through david or the, the psalmist the writer of psalm 15 thou thoughtest that i was altogether such a one as thyself now we know from isaiah 55 from verse 8 for my thoughts are not your thoughts neither are your ways my way saith the lord for as the heavens are higher than the earth so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. This is a dramatic representation of how different God is from us. But not only us. God is separate and different from the angels. Whether it's cherub, cherubim, or seraphim, God is separate and vastly different from the inhabitants of unfallen worlds. It is this holiness of God, this Difference that God has that causes the angels to be awestruck by He is so different. Holiness requires a level of difference that strikes onlookers as extreme. But God, who is offended by even one sin, God, who cut off all face to face communication because of one sin, He is holy to a degree, you and I. Cannot understand, but should try to study. Holiness suggests a separation from a difference. Now, God requires this of us insofar as created beings can reach that level of separation, that level of holiness. The Bible tells us in Hebrews 12:10, we should be partakers of God's holiness, meaning we are to be different and separate from the world as verily as God is separate from everything created. L. White writes in Selected Messages, Volume 3, page 211, paragraph 1, everything that can be done should be done to place ourselves and our children where we will not see the iniquity that is practiced in this world. Now, this is separation. Even though we are to minister, we must still live separate lives. Everything that can be done should be done to place ourselves and our children where we will not see the iniquity that is practiced in the world. This is separation. Now, at the beginning of my remarks, I recited Genesis one, one to five. Let us go back to that passage as we discussed when once is too many, we're looking at the holiness of God. We've discovered that just one sin resulted in a termination of all face-to-face communication between God and fallen man. Genesis one reading from verse three. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw the light that it was good And God divided the light from the darkness, and God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And the evening and the morning were the first day. God separated the light from the darkness. They are not to intermingle. They are not to mix. They are not to blend. This should be an impossibility. If light blends with darkness, it is no longer light. The darkness remains darkness, but the light is no longer light. Let me say that again. When light blends with darkness, which ought to be impossible, the light changes, the darkness remains the same. When the so-called Christian mingles with the world, the world remains unchanged, but the Christian is profoundly changed in the wrong direction. Now, based on God separating the light from the darkness, we read in 2 Corinthians 6, verse 14, be not an equally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness, and what communion hath light with darkness? And the obvious answer is none. We're discussing holiness. The holiness of God is such that he is vastly different, even from unfollowed. Ella White writes that even if Christ had taken on the humanity of Adam before Adam's sin, it would have been a tremendous humiliation. That's how different God is, even from unfallen created beings. The holiness of God. And we are called upon to be holy. Let us go to 1 Peter chapter 1. We read verse 15 and verse 16. 1 Peter chapter 1, 15 and 16. For as he which hath called you is holy, so be holy in all manner of conversation. Because it is written, be holy, for I am holy. Now, this is impossible to the human being unless he or she receives divine aid. And that divine aid is the very life of Jesus Christ. Why is it impossible? Listen again to 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 16. Because it is written, be holy, for I am holy. Leviticus 20, verse 26. Be holy, for I am holy. We are to be holy as God is holy in the sense that we are separate and distinct. No one can reproduce the absolute holiness of God. But to the degree a created being can be holy, we are required by God to be holy. That requires separation from the world as fairly as the Israelites were called by God from Egypt, as verily as God told them, Leviticus 20, 26, I have severed you from other people that you might be mine, which means that where there is no separation from the world, they cannot be holy people. Yes, we are to take the gospel to the world. That's what the world needs, the gospel message, the message of salvation. We are to do that, but we are to do that Without mingling with the world, we are to evangelize in the sea without becoming fish. We are to be holy. Now, this holiness causes problems because the world does not know how to interact with that kind of life. Indeed, we see that dramatically demonstrated in the life of Christ. Christ had problems from beginning to end because he was holy or he was righteous. And when the disciples finally got the message that Christ wanted them to get, that's after he left, and they were taken over by the Holy Spirit, and they began to live that life required by Christ, they began to be persecuted, as verily as Christ was persecuted, because holiness provokes a hostile response from the world. Darkness and light cannot intermingle, because one is hostile to the other. The Bible tells us clearly in a First John chapter 3, verse 11 and verse 12. First John 3, 11 and 12, let me pray again. Father, speak through me clearly, please, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. For so this is the message that he heard from the beginning, that he should love one another, not as Cain who was of that wicked one and slew his brother. Now listen carefully. And wherefore slew he him? Why? Because his own works were evil and his brother's righteous. The presence of righteousness provokes a homicidal response from the world. And the reason why the church today is not persecuted, Elway makes that very clear, is because, she says, it's embarrassing, the church is little different from the world. Consequently, the church suffers no persecution. But if the church rises up and through the enabling power of the indwelling life of Christ desires and desire and attempts to live that life by the power of Christ, persecution will begin in a flash because holiness provokes sin. Let me say it again. Holiness provokes sin. That is why God cannot take a sinner to the new world because the sinner would become hostile in a world where everything is holy, everything is righteous. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 13, Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and new earth wherein dwelleth righteousness. Now, Peter is saying righteousness, which is not removed from holiness, that's all there will be in the new world. But we know from uh, 1 John, Chapter 3, verse 12 That the reason Cain killed Abel was the righteous life as Abel. This has not changed. By that, I mean the hostility of sin to righteousness. If God admits a sinner into the new world, into heaven, that sinner will react violently because that is the nature of sin when it comes into the presence of righteousness or holiness. My brothers and sisters, my friends listening, God is a holy God. He is so holy that one sin led him to cut off all direct communication with Adam and Eve. Even though they repented, that, that uh, termination of first face-to-face communication continues to this day and our ability to communicate with God is only because of Jesus Christ. We communicate with God through Jesus Christ. Because as I said earlier, even though we repent in dust and ashes, it does not change the fact we sin once in the past and we have a sinful nature. One day, you and I, if we're faithful, will have again face-to-face communication with god this is promised very clearly in revelation 22 verse 4 and his and they shall see his face and his name his character shall be in their foreheads their minds will be holy their minds will be righteous our minds will be sinless in that condition we then will enjoy face to face communication with God without the need of a mediator, but now we need that mediator, Jesus Christ, because God the Father is an absolutely holy God. Holiness suggests a difference that causes onlookers to drop their jaw in us uh, in, in disbelief, as was the case with Jesus Christ when he was on the earth, even the disciples could not understand what kind of person he was. Jesus Christ was holy and his life was a reflection of the holiness possible to you and to me if we allow Christ to dwell within us so that we should be able to say as the Apostle Paul in Galatians 2.20, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live." Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. What did he mean by I am crucified with Christ? Before Christ actually died on the cross, Christ had crucified self. In the Garden of Gethsemane, where we are told that Christ actually died the second death. All that suffering in the Garden of Gethsemane, when he said, Father, if thou be willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. Self absolutely died. When that occurs, that's when Christ can live in us. When I say self dies, it is not that we no longer have the carnal nature. It ceases to direct our lives, it ceases to sit on the throne of the heart of the sinner. Christ sits there, and we're motivated, led, and driven by principles of holiness and righteousness. And so Paul says, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, without that crucifixion, there cannot be that resurrected life. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me, and the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Holiness of God requires separation. You know, Ellen White writes, I believe, and I'm guessing at this quotation, Early Writings, page 227, paragraph one, someone can check it. If the church had always retained its holy, peculiar character, let me say that again, if the church had always retained its holy, peculiar character, the power that was given to the apostles would be given to us. The sick would be healed, demons would be cast out, and she would be a terror to her enemies, a terror. If the church had maintained, retained its holy, peculiar character. We read the book of Acts, and we marvel at what the apostles did. We marvel at the miracles they performed, but the servant of God tells us, if the church had always retained its holy, peculiar character, this separation from the world, all these things would have happened down through the ages, even to this very day. When once is too many. Ephesians 5, verse 3 fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not be once named among you as become of saints. In other words, as saints, so-called, as children of God desiring a place in God's kingdom. Our desire should come to be that we come to the place through Christ and constant surrender where we are not even guilty of one sin. Because one sin led to the termination of face-to-face communication with a God who is absolutely holy, and the holiness of God does not tolerate one sin. And to your perhaps surprise and shock and chagrin, God requires us to come to the place where we will not tolerate in our lives one sin. When once is too many, for a holy God one sin is too many. And since we're called to be holy, First Peter 1, 15 and 16, Leviticus 20, 26, uh, Hebrews 12, 10, since we are called to be holy to the limit that's possible to a for-created being, we must also desire to live that life that does not contain one sin. Heads bowed, eyes closed. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. We thank you, God, you've set for us a standard that is so high that it is only through christ it can be reached we know from education page 18 paragraph 4 higher than the highest human thought can reach is god's ideal for his children godliness godlikeness and your servant might have said holiness is the goal to be reached every day through the power of christ they god let us strive toward that goal, and Father I said, through the indwelling power of Christ, which is his life lived in us through the presence of the Holy Spirit and the Spirit-filled Word. dear God, develop in us through your spirit a love for holiness, not simply on the Sabbath, but all during the week, give us a love for holiness, because a love for holiness is indeed a love for God. Bless everyone who listen to God, and when you come into your kingdom, save us without losing one where we will live in a world where everything is holy, everything is righteous. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.